offices. I have one child who's not sitting up here that remembers everything we've ever promised her, probably since she was about five days old somehow. I, I'm serious because she, you know, uh, this past week she would say, Dad, don't, don't forget you promised something. You know, just remind me what I promised, as if I would have forgotten, but she uh, definitely remembers promises. Promises are powerful. Promises are important. They're a part of life. So it's another thing of life called faith. And we all have faith. You have faith in many things. How many of you, before you sat down on that pew, sat and really kind of stood and thought, will this seat hold me up? Did anybody consciously, deliberately go, hmm, I wonder what this, if I sit, I wonder what's going to happen to me. Anybody? Or those of you that are in the metal chairs, am I right? None? You have faith, right? We all have faith. Every single human being has faith. The question is, what is your faith in? Because see, not only do we have faith, faith is the foundation of life. How you view the world. Some call it a worldview. I think it's important to call it that. And other things. It's based on your faith in whatever you have faith in. It's based on your view. This becomes the foundation that everything you and I do is built upon. What is your faith in? Who do you have faith in? We're seeing in our world the, the struggle of different faith systems. And that can be very discouraging for us as Christians. Because we see where it is. But I think what we need to be reminded of is that we have to realize there is a faith system. And if we just try to tackle things at a higher level, it's like working on a roof. But if the foundation, if we don't understand the foundation and how things were built, we may miss our opportunities to share the one who made promises. This is what Paul is going to talk about in, in Galatians 3, about the God of the promise-making God and what that means in life. But we all have faith. And to change is hard work. Very few of us like change. But regardless if you like change or not, it is hard to change. And so maybe sometimes we can, we can see and be gracious for those who aren't where we are in our faith. Because it's hard work to change. It is hard work when you have a faith system that says one thing and you change allegiance. Let me put it in a churchy word. Salvation comes to you. It's a changing of foundation. And that is hard work. No wonder there is such struggle in our world. 
No wonder Paul writes the words that Paul has to write, because this was a change of foundation for the early church as it is for us. In fact, to some extent, one of the reasons I believe the brightest days for the church are ahead of us is because our world has changed. And now we, as the people of Christ, get to show what a different foundation is built upon. But that is hard work. It's hard for us. It's hard for others. But yet, the gospel must change us. We must be changed by the gospel. And we may not like some of that change. It may go against some of what that foundation we thought we were built upon is there. But the gospel must change us, or maybe we don't believe the gospel. If we come to know Jesus and nothing different ever happens, have we really come to know Jesus, or do we just have a belief about something that we hope is right? We hope is there. Jesus demands that we would change. He demands that we continually grow. Do you have a faith in that or not? So I want to ask the question. I think Paul's asking the question here in Galatians 3. Uh, 9, we're only going to get to 18. I'll get to 19 through 22 next week. Alright? But the question I want us to know is where does the gospel begin? Have you ever thought of that? Most probably not. I think of weird things. Alright? You didn't have to agree, Ducky. I saw you agree on weird things. I, I know I think weird things. Weird questions come to mind. This is probably one of those. Where does the gospel begin? In fact, most of you sit here going, uh, Jesus, hello. You know? Uh, we have a rule downstairs. You know what this rule is, Jordan? Okay, Jordan, we have a rule in youth group, all right? You know what the rule is in youth group when I ask a question? Remember? Just nod your head and say yes. No, that's not it. That's, we're gonna make, that's going to be the Jordan rule, all right? So in formation of the new Jordan rule, you're not allowed to just nod your head and say yes. No, you just said, you just nodded your head and said yes. Here. All right, the rule is, is if I ask a Bible question, the answer is not God, Jesus, or the Bible. And you go, well, then, wait, is a pastor allowed to say such things? Yes, because those are too easy of answers where you don't really think through the question. And if I ask a question and that's one of the answers, that's a bad question on my part. So God, Jesus, uh, Bible, or Holy Spirit, I've got to have the fourth one because then Jordan will go, well, what about the Holy Spirit? You know, yep, or eyebrows said it all. You know, uh, you know, we would go. And I'm going to tell you, the gospel doesn't just begin with Jesus. It's much older. In fact, that's what Paul is going to argue here in Galatians 3. That is, what he's saying is the gospel is older than just Jesus. It's tucked into a bigger framework. So here's where it begins. I won't make you a switch there because there would be a lot of rustling. It begins here, and I will put enmity, conflict, 
Okay, I will put conflict between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. The offspring, he, will crush your head, and you will strike his seal. The first promise of Scripture. The promise that the gospel is getting ready to come. The promise that you need to be looking for the one who will fulfill what God has said. It's tucked in Genesis 3.15. It's tucked in, and the pages of Scripture starts to unfold about which offspring, which descendant is going to finally bring things back to the way it was meant to be. What if you and I read through the stories of Genesis with this kind of lens, this kind of thing, that the first promise of Scripture would be fulfilled. So how's it going to be fulfilled? Where is that descendant? Who is that one? Could it be Cain? Could it be Abel? Well, we soon find out it's neither one of those two. One's dead, the other's an exile. Okay, what next? Who's next? Could it be Enoch? The guy who walked with God. Oh, wait, no, he just is no more. Oh, maybe. Great. What about Methuselah? I mean, that guy admit the, I mean, Joyce, he was your trailblazer right there. At 900 and something years old, see, you've got many more years to go. I'm trying to convince myself that Joyce is going to always be around, just so you all know. I'm just going to lay that out there. How do you two, you know, uh, you just got to wait until, you know, we're all ready, all right? That's kind of like, don't wish that upon me. You know, so, you know, Methuselah, what about him? And then he dies off and go, oh, okay, now who? Now, how will this promise be fulfilled? I mean, that's really what Eliana is trying to ask every time. Hey, don't forget. As if she would let me. But see, maybe we should read through Scripture. We should really read through Genesis. And as we interact with those stories, we should go, God, don't forget. Is it this one? Is it him? Ah, oh, then we come to Noah. I mean, hey, maybe Noah. Right, Noah? Maybe you're it. I sure hope not. He can't remember his classes. He wouldn't even be able to see to get pointed the right way. All right? No, this guy, he's a man that sticks out for this generation. And then God turns the blood. Okay? Well, at least we're starting with good people now. Like that of me. Which one of Noah's? When we come down, see, this is why genealogy became so important to the nation of Israel. This is why genealogy in Genesis 5, uh, and then Genesis 10 and 11, becomes so important because it's reminding God and it's reminding the people there was a promise and we're waiting for that promise to come true. So who is it? Is it you? Is it me? Who is it not? Is it Jebin? Yeah, you can go both friends a little bit on that, right? All right? Or is it not? 
See, when we read scripture, one of my concerns is we read scripture so much from an individual verse standpoint of what can I get out of this? Where's the application for me? That we miss that all of scripture is tied into a larger framework. And it is not the framework we typically come from. And when we start to see the broadness of Scripture, we go, wow, that becomes pretty full with things. That brings that story to life. There's an expectancy with each new babe. No wonder then, when Jesus was born, there was this, wow, a baby. Could this baby, Simeon and Anna would say, would this baby in the prophesied word be that hope, that descendant that comes out of Genesis 3.15? Yes, that's the first promise, but that isn't the only promise that is so important for us to understand the gospel. We have this promise that is made in Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. God is the one speaking. He's the I here. The you is a guy by the name of Abram, also known as Abraham. It's important for us to remember those things. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God then says in Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. This was the promise that was to come. This was the promise and this is the foundational promise of the gospel. We have Genesis 3.15, and right, the, both of them together form the foundation of what we call the gospel. Which means when we pick up Galatians, when we pick up uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke, we have to realize it is tucked within this promise here. No wonder the Pharisees no wonder the teachers of the law asked Jesus, well, we, or said to Jesus, we are Abraham's children. We are the descendants of him. And Jesus would say in John 8, only those who obey me, listen to me, are the true descendants of Abraham. See, the faith of the Jew was a nationalistic faith. It was, uh, we have Abraham on our side, which means we Jews are the Savior of the world. And in order to be a Jew, what you have to do, you had to follow certain things. But what Paul is reminding us as he brings up this idea in, in Galatians 3, as he brings up the idea that Christ is the one who fulfills the promise of the Lord. As he reminds us that the promise was given before the law, he said the gospel is universal. 
It's available for any and for all. There is no debating who the gospel is for. Anyone and everyone. Abraham was promised that he would be a blessing to all nations. Every single one. Paul says that it is that seed who is one person who is Christ. Verse 16 and 17. Paul goes on to say that, that the law which came 400 some years after the time of the promise to Abraham doesn't nullify the promise. That'd be like me telling Eliana, well, Yes, I promised that once, but remember, I also promised that I'd get you ice cream, and I did. So therefore, that has fulfilled the earlier promise. Do you think my daughter would go for that? Anybody know my daughter? Do you think she'd go for that? No way. Boys, would you go with that if I promised you $100? You know what? I also promised you 5 bucks, and I gave you the 5 bucks, so we're good. Yeah. No? You don't think that would be a good deal, Josiah? No. $100. You want the hundred dollars? Yeah. You probably want the hundred dollars and the five, right? Maybe. Maybe. Plus ice cream? And. and that's alright. Alright? It's it, you know, that wasn't gonna fly. That's what that is what Paul is saying. Just because the law came later doesn't mean it nullified the first promises. But what happened? Yes or no? You know, 
That's what he's getting at in this long passage of this complex. Is it wasn't that the law couldn't be, couldn't produce faith. Instead, what the law produced was the idea that you need somebody to overcome what you cannot do. You can't get the law 100%. No good you really thought anybody could live 100% true to the law. Because if you did that, you would never participate in Passover. You would never participate in Day of Atonement. You would never participate in the sacrificial system. They realized they messed up. But they thought that they could become acceptable to God by how they lived and not by His grace. And that's why Paul says redemption is found for all in Christ Jesus. That He paid a ransom. He went into enemy territory and he paid the ransom on your behalf, on my behalf, on the Jews' behalf to set them free from what they couldn't do on their own. And so he says, do you want to live in the blessing of Abraham or the curse of Abraham? Do you want the blessings of life in Christ or do you want to go backwards and then you will be found enslaved? says in verse 14, he uh, redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. We are redeemed. He's really saying we as Jewish Christians were redeemed out of the law to prove that the promise that God gave to Abraham has been fulfilled by one and one alone. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1. For all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That's like, uh, you know, yes. Amen really is just like, yes, may it be so. And he's saying they are yes and it has been so that God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. The seed of Abraham is the one who redeemed. What is your faith in? See, I think part of what happened in the Jewish culture, that's the same struggle that I have and that you have, is we take the good that was given, in this case the law, and we replace it for the giver of the law. The good of salvation, the good of reading our Bibles and going to church and doing all the great things that Paul would have wanted to say. And we we replace God with those things and we think we're okay. And Christ says it was never about those things. Because then our faith is really in us. I can't do this. I've got the power to do this. If I just try harder. If I just you know, we have a phrase, wipe and uplift. You know? I can do it. I can do it. And the gospel, the foundation of the gospel, it says you can't wipe and uplift hard enough, long enough to get there. And the paradox of life, the paradox of the gospel is you've got to surrender. You've got to let go in order to gain life. You have to let go in order to be something. 
Jesus said it this way. Whoever wants to gain their life must lose it. And whoever loses their life will gain it. How so? Because we have been ransomed. We have been taken out of enemy camp. See, because if we understand the two promises that I just said, the first promise was built upon the fact that we now have been taken hostage in Adam and Eve to a different way of life. And God promised in the very beginning, you won't be hostages forever. I'm going to send somebody who will ransom you out. And then he clarifies that this ransoming isn't just going to be for a select few if you want. It could be for all. Now, I don't believe that all will be saved, that everyone who, who uh, you know, has ever existed is in glory. No, I believe Jesus is on the way, the truth, and the life. It is exclusive in that way. But it is universal in the idea that anyone can get this. And your job and my job is to point to the redemption that is found in Christ. And as I like to say, we get to ransack enemy territory and we want to take people with us. Is this not maybe what Paul said when he said, to live is Christ to die is gain. I can't wait for glory. You know, uh, I can't wait to, to meet some people in glory. First and foremost, my Lord. There's other people. I can't wait. And I know I frustrate some of you all when I, when I talk about, what. hey, if you're going to do something to me, do good. Send me to Jesus, okay? And most people go, what is wrong with you? There's too many things. I, I want to see my kids grow up. I, I want to I be the one who preaches at my daughter's uh, wedding. Because that man, whoever she marries, God bless him already. You know? And I promise you, it'll be a, it'll be a great one. I'm going to hope with that one. I might be bawling my eyes out in the meantime. You know, I'm going to have fun with that one. But you know what? My job isn't just to wait until they grow up. My job, life eternal, isn't just waiting for Jesus to come back. It is ransacking enemy territory with the redemption that is found in Christ. Saying, hey, you want to come too? It's, it's open. You want to come? I can bring you to the one. He's already done the work. Will you have faith that the work is done? And if you have faith that the work is done, your life can be different. It's going to be hard. There's nothing easy about following Jesus. So who are you going to go kidnap for Jesus this week? Who are you going to go kidnap for Jesus this week? Who's on your list? See, that's why we exist. We don't just exist to wait until he comes back. I hope he comes back today. In all honesty, I hope it. Right now, Lord, come back. These people won't suffer anymore. You know, but it, I hope it's today, but if not, my job is to go into the midst of enemy territory, in the midst of the darkness, and say, hey, light has come. Light is here. Do I like getting phone calls early in the morning to say, hey, my loved one may be going today. When can you get here? No. Do, do I like going into places where the words that are used are no words that Joyce Bowler would ever say? Anymore, probably. Or ever. Uh, probably ever. Knowing what I've heard. No. Do I like going into the footsteps of death's door and preaching funerals? No. But I can. Why? Because I have a faith that redemption is found in Christ Jesus. So when I'm stepping at death's door, I know it's a shadow and not a finality. They may not. But my hope is I'm going to try to shine light right here. 
I don't sometimes have to say anything but just be there. Let the reflection get in. But in order to do that, I have to submit. I have to humble myself. But you may ask, well, how do I do this? See, the promise isn't just Christ. Because see, if it was just Christ, you and I would kind of be hopeless and powerless. Because we couldn't ever fulfill the role of faith. We couldn't actually live this out. The law says it's not possible. Paul says the Spirit is also the promised one. The promised power and the promised blessing. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Verse 14. The Spirit. That you have been given. If you have faith in Jesus, and you've been redeemed by Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Do you have faith that the Spirit is in you? Then is your life differently? That means those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we can say no to sin. We are no longer bound. It's not by white knuckling it. It's about releasing and saying, this is the way of the Spirit. I'm going to submit to something else. It's not that we won't sin. It's that we don't have to be habitually sinning again and again and again. We have the power to overcome. We have the power So what is your faith in? That's what Paul is asking in Galatians 3. Jewish Christians were saying the faith is found in doing the works of the law. Not that the works were bad. But Paul is saying there's someone actually greater and older than the works. The promise wasn't to the law. The promise was in the seed of Abraham. The one known as Christ. And that is why when we come to communion, we, uh, at least I like to call it, the Lord's table. Because he's the one who has offered up his body. Jesus didn't just say, this is a body which is broken for you. He said, this is the, my body, broken for you. This is the new covenant. Not that he uh, replaced and nullified the old covenant, whether that would be Abraham or even the law, but he said he fulfilled the law, the covenant of Moses. He goes back even farther. He goes back to Abraham. He is the one that all nations will be blessed by. He goes back even farther to the pages of Genesis, where he is the one who hits the surface and crushes the death blow. And all he gets is a bruised heel. Faith in Jesus will never disappoint. Faith in Jesus is always worth it. So I ask the question that I started with. What is your faith in? Not what was your faith in, but right now, what is your faith in? That you can measure up to God? 
or that the work has been done. That you could work your way to freedom, or that Jesus ransomed us by his death. So that all I've got to do, not just all, but if I have faith in him, I don't have to try to earn my ransom. I live as a free man or woman. And then, here's the beauty. We get going back into enemy territory and ransack others. And point the light of others. Hey, you want to for someone who's already paid the price? You've got to live as if the price has been paid. So we live lives, Paul would say, under the work of the Holy Spirit, so that others will go, there is someone who my faith invested in that will never leave me, Lord, for Savior. For there is one under the stepping of the Holy Spirit that will not put us under any law. For that is where freedom is found. It's in Christ and in the Spirit. The Spirit. So let us go to